Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. Uh, my name is Ryan Laughlin. It's my privilege to serve as your senior pastor and to read our passage this morning. I'd encourage you to have a copy of it in front of you. There'll also be It'll also be up on the screen, but it would be good over the next few minutes for you to have it in front of you on your phone or in the Bible so that as I make reference to it, you can make sure we're all talking about the same text, Mark chapter 10. Uh, As I've been thinking about this text this morning, which um, I hope is encouraging to you that I was thinking about it this morning and this week, um, it occurs to me that, that, you know, it's just now February, but based on my email and, uh, and, and the various conversations in our home, it's also tryout season for everything in the spring, which seems like, how, how is that happening right now? But so it is that uh, you know, some of you are trying out for the baseball team, the lacrosse team, the tennis team. Uh, you're already stressing out about that. Uh, some of you have decided to audition for the spring musical this year, maybe. Uh, or maybe you're you know, trying out for a new job, or maybe you're uh, applying to a graduate school, or maybe you're you were like me, and you remember how nerve-wracking this whole experience of trying out is. It's just stressful to be under the microscope, to be scrutinized, especially when you're surrounded by a lot of really talented people. And D.C. is a place, you know, not to pat you on the back too much, but this is a place where really talented people like to come and try their stuff and find out if they have what it takes. Um, it does kind of remind me of my senior year in high school. I had some friends who were really into theater. And uh, they saw a lot of potential in me, which I'm sure you can understand why they would see potential in me. Uh, you know, they knew I could sing, they knew I could act, they knew I could dance. And so uh, they suggested that I try out for the spring musical that year. And I was like, sure, I can do that. So I showed up uh, at the audition and uh, I realized very quickly that there were really talented people there. And by that, I mean people who really could sing, really could act, really could dance, and could kind of do all those things at the same time. And so as the, as the audition was going along and I was watching people go up in front of me and you know, sing their little number and do their little dance, I was realizing this is, this is probably not going to go well for me. Uh, and sure enough, I got up there and I I did my best, and, uh, and, and that year I am actually kind of proud to say that I scored the part of businessman number three in that, in that production. Um, yep, thank you very much. I was very proud of that. Uh, and, and yet, um, it, just even thinking about that, I'm, I'm starting to sweat a little bit in front of you. It was nerve-wracking to watch all of these people who really had it together show everybody they really have it together, and I knew I, I didn't measure up. I was... I was kind of an imposter. I mean, I was, I was businessman number three kind of material, right? I think sometimes uh, just because this is the world we live in, we apply all of that stress, all of, that, uh, all of those expectations to, to our Christian lives as well. And so as, as, uh, as we mentioned earlier, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or whether you're still trying to figure out if this is something that that should be part of your life. I think a lot of us have this expectation that, that, that being a Christian is kind of like a lifelong tryout for Jesus. Like every day he is just measuring us up to, to sort out, to decide whether or not there's a spot on the team for us, for, for me, for you. And, and, and we, 
We think that, and it's especially stressful because we're surrounded by people who, who seem to be really talented people. I mean, you know, you're already doing the math. You're like, well, well she's definitely on the team because she's really holy, and he's definitely on the team because he's, he's super religious, and, and, uh, and, and so, is, so is he. He knows a lot of theology and Bible, and, and she, she kind of has everything in her life together, and and, and those folks over there, they're, they're really committed. And, and we start doing the math and we're wondering like, how far down does this roster go? Like, is there a, a, a place for Christian human number three? Like, you know, is there, does it go that far down? And, 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 and if, it, if it does, like, is there a spot for me? Now, what's really interesting about the the book of Mark, the book of Mark is all about following Jesus. Those are some of the first words in in the book. It's Jesus, in essence, like trying people out and saying, come follow me. And we learn along the way who has the stuff and who doesn't. Uh, We met somebody last week who, on the surface, seemed to have it all together. We we called him the rich young ruler. That's often how he's referred to in the Bible. He was somebody who had his life together and he even was really earnest when it came to following the law. But at the end of the day, the lesson we learn is that he's not the model disciple. I mean, he's not, he's not the person we hold up as the example of, of who Jesus is, is looking for. And we didn't look at this this week or last week, but in between those two passages, uh, there's this whole conversation again with Jesus's disciples about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. And, and they have this very uh, earthly ambition sense of what it means to be a great disciple. Like they want to have a place of prominence. They want to be in Jesus's cabinet, you know, when it all goes down. And Jesus says, well, that's not really what I'm looking for either. The, the least among you will be the greatest. Um, and, and then, of course, the Pharisees have been bothering Jesus this entire time. And, and even though they get a bad rap now, all these centuries later, like at the time, they were the religious people everybody looked up to. Okay, so if you wanted to find a holy person who took God's word seriously and knew it better than you did, you go find a Pharisee. And, and yet we've, we've learned time and time again, that's not necessarily what Jesus is looking for either. Not that those things are bad in and of themselves, but by themselves, Jesus says. That's not what it looks like to follow me. And so if it's, if it's not the Pharisees and it's not, uh, it's not the disciples at, at their most ambitious and at their worst and it's not the rich young ruler, what does it look like to be a Christian, to follow Jesus? Who is the model that we should order and organize our lives around? Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 46. This is God's word. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho, that is, as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. 
And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand your word and to apply it to our lives. Help me as I speak not just to my brothers and sisters and friends here, but also to my own heart, that your grace might be more amazing still when we're done listening to you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, Bartimaeus gives us hope that following Jesus is not a matter of having your act together or even uh, pretending to have your act together because uh, he is a man who exemplifies what Jesus has already said following him is all about. Earlier in this chapter, he said, uh, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to do it as what? A little child. And uh, as we all can appreciate, little children don't have their act together. Am I right? And they also don't really care about having their act together. There's no pretense. There's, well, there's some guile. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, what you see is what you get with a two-year-old, a three-year-old. And, and Bartimaeus is that sort of disciple. He, he, he can't hide his need. Um, you know, he, he, he obviously is someone who is in desperate need of, of mercy. And, and, and this, this desperate need is met by Jesus. And so in many ways, Bartimaeus is presented to us this, this morning as, as the unlikely hero of the story. This, this isn't necessarily the person we would expect to model our lives after, and yet he is the one Jesus gives us. Why is that? Well, first of all, because of how Bartimaeus, uh, Bartimaeus teaches us to see Jesus, and then second of all, the way he seeks Jesus. He's teaching us how to see Jesus, and he's teaching us how to seek Jesus. Um, that's what I want to talk about this morning, beginning with uh, how he sees Jesus. So um, he is, he's a fixture, apparently, on the side of the road, on the road uh, coming out of Jericho. He presumably has been there for a while. This is a regular habit. People are used to seeing him there. And by the way, Jesus is used to people yelling at him. Uh, there, he's used to people desperate to get close to him, yelling at him, trying to get his attention. And this is no different. Bartimaeus begins to yell. And when people t- tell him to be quiet, he just keeps yelling all the more. Um, but I want you to notice what he's yelling, what he's crying out to Jesus. He says, Jesus, this is verse 47. And then again in 48, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, that title, Son of David, is a fascinating one. Uh, it, it, it really captures what the people of Israel expected the Messiah to be. Uh, and whether Bartimaeus had this all figured out or not, we don't really know, but he's really tapping this uh, theological wellspring that comes out of the Old Testament. So uh, all the way back in the time of David, this is, uh, this is in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 7, God is speaking to David and he tells David, I am going to raise up an offspring from your own body who will sit on your throne and establish your kingdom forever. Think about that. Forever. This is a forever kingdom that's being promised to come out of the lineage of David. And we looked at this earlier 
uh, just a couple week or just a couple months ago during Advent, we looked at Isaiah chapter nine. So Isaiah in chapter nine is picking up this promise that God made to David, and he says, uh, "This promise, God will be faithful to this promise." Uh, speaking of the Messiah, he says, "Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever." And this is why when you pick up the Bible and you read like the first gospel, you read Matthew, the first thing you read is a family tree. Like, okay, I guess I can skip that part. Don't skip that part. Okay, those names matter because what Matthew is doing is he's connecting the life of Jesus to the promise that there will be a greater son of David, a mighty king who will rule over all people in all time, in all places. And whether Bartimaeus knows it or not, he is schooling everybody in Old Testament theology and covenant theology, and he is proclaiming, almost like a herald, the king, the mighty king, the son of David, is here. And what's beautiful is that Bartimaeus marries this this, this way of seeing Jesus as the mighty king who can actually bring healing to him with this idea of Jesus being a merciful king, right? So Jesus doesn't handle power the the way we see many people in the world handling power. He doesn't, he isn't mighty and therefore harsh or mighty and therefore aloof or mighty and therefore cruel toward those who are hurting or weak. Jesus is mighty and merciful. Have mercy on me, he cries. That Jesus is a, is a different sort of king altogether. He is mighty, he can heal us, and he is merciful. He feels for us. Do you see the great irony of, of this moment? So here's this great crowd. It's not just a crowd, it's a great crowd. Momentum is building. They're walking with Jesus toward Jerusalem. They sense there's a buzz in the air. They sense something is happening and they see Jesus and they're following him. But who is it in this story who sees Jesus? It's not the sighted people. It's the blind man. And we know everybody else doesn't see Jesus because They see him as a mighty king, but not someone who has the time or the energy or the agenda or the room in their life for someone like Bartimaeus. Because when he's crying out to them, have mercy on me, they're like, you need to be quiet. Jesus has more important things to do than worry about your little problems. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. There are Romans to kick out. There's a fight to be had. There's power to be won. There's prophecies to be fulfilled. So you just keep quiet, right? What are they doing? They're rebuking him. They're putting their hands over over his mouth. Stop, Stop getting in his way. He's a mighty king. And see, this is what happens when our view of Jesus is limited to his sovereign power. 
Should, should we have Jesus in view as a mighty king? Absolutely. He is the, the greater son of David who rules over us and, and we owe our allegiance to him. But if that's all we have in our field of vision, then what happens is we begin to say we don't have room in our lives for hurting people. Maybe the hurting people who deserve our attention every once in a while or make us feel good about ourselves, but really making room for suffering, hurting people, including suffering, hurting people who have brought it on themselves. And you might not sound as rude as this, but we have ways of rebuking people without rebuking people, right? Like we're all fluent in nonverbal rebukes, looks, long periods of silence, not quite being able to fit people into our schedules anymore, right? Like what Jesus is doing here is a corrective. It's not just seeing him as mighty, it's also seeing him as merciful, but there's a There's an opposite problem. If all we do is see Jesus as merciful and we have a big heart for people who are hurting and we're always running to the next person who needs our time, I mean, it's a a good impulse, but what happens after a while, not just in our individual lives, but even in our vocational lives? We want to help people, that's good, but the more you get into it, what do you find out? That there is a lot of hurt out there in the world. A lot. And uh, there are people in our lives who... Let's just admit it, like are really high maintenance and sometimes are doing great and sometimes not doing so great. And before long, if all we do is see Jesus as the merciful, big hearted savior, but not the mighty one who can actually change us is that we begin to get compassion fatigue and maybe even grow a little cynical, like this is just never going to change. Bartimaeus schools us in keeping in view both the might of Jesus by the power of his his spirit. He really can change us. He really can change people. But also the mercy of Jesus. He really has a heart. He's drawn to us in our wounded, broken places. And of course, you're never going to see Jesus this way for other people unless you see Jesus this way for yourself. If you think Jesus is just demanding, 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 you're never measuring up, well, how do you think we're going to see other people who aren't measuring up? But if we only see Jesus as running toward us, running toward us, and never asking anything of us, never asking us to ask hard questions about our lives, then how do you think we're going to respond to the hurt around us rather than understanding that Jesus is the mighty, merciful king? That's how Bartimaeus sees Jesus. And it's worth asking ourselves, how do we see Jesus? How do we imagine him responding when we come to him once again with our deepest wounds and our deepest hurt and brokenness, even the things that we've brought onto ourselves? Secondly, he teaches us how to seek Jesus. So Uh, Bartimaeus is crying out, and we're told in verse 49, in verse 48, he just keeps doing it, even though he's being told to be quiet. Uh, And uh, in verse 49, he gets Jesus' attention. Jesus stops and says, call him. Now, at this point, the crowd does a 180. 
A second ago, they were telling Bartimaeus, you're wasting his time. Then all of a sudden, once Jesus shows some interest, they go, oh, no, 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 take heart, get up, he's calling you. So we could spend another half an hour talking about um, the whole fickleness of the crowd and what that says about the human heart and all that. We're not going to do that, but that's a fascinating conversation. What I really want you to focus on is the response of Bartimaeus, not the response of the crowd. The response of Bartimaeus is one of boldness. He's been, uh, he's been yelling for a while now until he's hoarse. That's bold. That's not subtle. Uh, but not only that, but notice his physical response when he finds out that Jesus is inviting him into his personal space. Verse 50, he throws off his cloak. He chucks it. He doesn't just get up and fold it up and put it aside for later. He just throws it, he throws it off. Which, by the way, this was probably his most prized possession. I mean, he sat on it every day as he sat by the road. It was probably his bed and his blanket at night. I mean, he was a, a poor, blind beggar. This was probably his most prized possession. Contrast this with the rich young ruler who had a kung fu grip on everything he owned and wasn't going to give up anything for Jesus. This man, the moment Jesus invites him into his personal space, throws it. He just leaves it and he goes. He's bold, not just in that way. He, he springs up, he jumps to his feet, he makes his way to Jesus. Jesus asks him an obvious question. Remember Mad Magazine, uh, snappy answers to stupid questions? Remember that whole routine? This is one of those moments, right? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Hmm, let me think. Uh... Let's see here, sitting by the side of the road, begging, blind, poor. Let me think, Jesus, just give me, can I get back to you on that? Like, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, this is one of those moments where if he had any sense of uh, entitlement or resentment, like it, it's about time you showed up. But instead, he just gives a bold, blunt, straight answer. Rabbi? Let me recover my sight. This man, this, um, this blind man is, is bold. He, he approaches Jesus as if Jesus really welcomes him into his personal space. He doesn't come groveling. Uh, he doesn't come apologizing. He comes boldly. which is really a picture of not only how we first come to Jesus, some of you may be in that place in your life where you've never committed your life to Christ, you've never said, I want Jesus to, to, to be my king, I want to live for him, I know that he died for me and has forgiven my sin, and, and this is the way we come to him as, as our savior and our king. Even the first time, we come boldly with, without, without any sort of uh, putting up pretenses or uh, or putting up pretense or putting up appearances, we come because we really believe when Jesus says, come to me, that he means, I, I really want you to, I really want you to come to me. And so that's not just the way we come the first time. I, I believe Bartimaeus is giving us a picture of what it means to live with Jesus moment by moment, day by day. That there's an immediacy, an urgency, a boldness about his approach 
Because I, I think a lot of us have this idea that, that what it means to be a Christian, like the measure of uh, what it means to be a, a mature Christian is you, um, you do the, the most right and the least wrong for the longest period of time. Okay? That's what it looks like to be the best Christian in the world. That's what it looks like to be a faithful disciple. The least wrong, the most right for the longest period of time. But actually what the Bible teaches us is that the mature, deeply rooted in Christ Christian is the, is the Christian who repents the quickest. That, that the more we know who Jesus is, we understand the depth of our sin and our need for Jesus. Like that doesn't get less over time. That gets more over time. Jesus becomes more beautiful, more believable to us. The more we recognize the depth of our own need and our sin. And Bartimaeus is showing us that, that as Christians, we ought to be urgent and bold and, and immediate in our desire to run to Jesus even when we're at our worst. Um, John Calvin, the, the uh, 16th century theologian, had a, a personal seal that he would put at the bottom of his letters, at the top of his works. And it kind of evolved over time. At first, it was a very rudimentary drawing of a hand extending a heart, kind of like a weird Valentine thing going on there. But uh, eventually, it got refined until its present form. You can go find it. It's, it's the picture of two hands holding out a heart with the words, my heart, I offer you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. Uh, that is the posture of the disciple. My Lord, I offer you my heart in this moment, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of failure, in the midst of success, promptly and sincerely. And Bartimaeus is embodying that sort of boldness. And it's wedded with this humility. That's the beautiful part of it. It's not like he's striding up to Jesus like the rich young ruler, proud of everything he's accomplished. He is coming as the most needy person in the crowd. And he hears Jesus' healing words and receives them. I love the fact that um, when Jesus tell, tells him to go his own way in verse 52, uh, what, does he, what does this man do? He says, that's fine, I'll go my own way, and if it's okay with you, your way will be my way. Because this is what disciples do. Those who have experienced the mercy of Jesus make the mercy of Jesus their way. That brothers and sisters, we wouldn't just be recipients of God's mercy, we would be vessels of God's mercy. That we would move into the world confident that there is a mighty king who has come and who is coming one day to make all things right and all things new and uphold justice and righteousness forever. And until that day, we get to live out the might and mercy of our king and his kingdom, that we would not just be recipients of his mercy, but vessels of it. Well, this is really the last we hear of Bartimaeus, kind of. We don't hear about him again in the Bible, but I do just want to point out one last detail as we, as we close. Um, the fact that Mark tells us his name is really interesting because it's really rare. Uh, Mark does give us names along the way, but he rarely gives us the name of somebody who receives Jesus' healing. Rarely. Um, 
you know, we're talking like single digits, one hand, single digits. And, uh, and this is one of those moments. In fact, Mark clearly goes out of his way. He tells us this blind man's name is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. And it raises the question, why? Um, one way to understand it is, is to say, well, you know, Mark got his, got his stories from somebody. And, uh, and uh, if they were eyewitnesses, it's quite likely that uh, he went to Bartimaeus at some point and he he learned this story of Jesus's mercy, and so he included Bartimaeus's name. This is one more bit of evidence that the Gospels aren't just myths that someone made up years and years or centuries and centuries later, like you'll sometimes hear in your New Testament studies class in college. No, the evidence is actually that a book like Mark is based on eyewitnesses, like those who were there. And the fact that he adds Mark's name even says to his readers, and if you don't believe me, guess what? Go ask him. You know, he's in the church in Jerusalem. You can go ask him. He's teaching fourth grade Sunday school on Sunday. Like, just go ask him. He'll tell you. As one person has said, he is a, a living testimony to the healing grace of Jesus. I mean, can you imagine if this is your testimony? Like, testimony Sunday, you know, I never knew a day I didn't love Jesus. Okay. And then Bartimaeus gets up here like, okay, all right. Well, you know, best testimony ever. I once was blind, now I see, literally and spiritually. Because that's our testimony too. Once I was blind, now I see. And if, if, if adopting Bartimaeus as your model for discipleship, if that seems like a little too strong of medicine for us, I mean, we are Presbyterians, right? So we don't throw our cloaks off, you know. We don't cry out for mercy. We, we bring our petitions before the Lord. Okay, I get that. <laughs> if he seems a little too out there, a little too bold, broadcasting his need a little too much, guess what? It's too late. Because the moment you come to this table, you are calling Bartimaeus your brother. As soon as you hold this little cup, Hold this little bread. What are you doing? You are broadcasting to everyone in this room, I need mercy. Right? And yet it is in admitting that you need mercy that you now are ready to receive it. And the freedom that comes along with it. Let me pray for us. Father, Thank you for inviting us to this table and making room for hurting people here. In fact, there is room for no one else except those who are in desperate need of your mercy. Lord, help us as we come to, to realize what, what a privilege it is to be welcomed into your presence, that we would come into your presence with humility, but also with the boldness of those who trust in the unfailing finished work of Jesus on our behalf, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.